audio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today, well, I'm glad to have him back, uh, Dr. Bhaskar Purashottam with Monument Health, the Har- the uh, Heart and Vascular Institute at Monument Health. Uh, and joining him is also uh, Roger DeRod, who is the Director of Research. Uh, you were the Director of Research. Are, yeah. you, are you still the Director yeah, of I Research? Yeah, I still work in research okay. um, I, as one of the investigators. Investigators, yeah. all right. Wanted to make sure I got everybody's title right before we moved on here. Uh, Dr. Purushottam, of course, uh, people uh, were first introduced to you back in Episode 60, I believe, of the podcast. We were talking about complex coronary uh, diseases, uh, I believe, is what we discussed. That's right. So if you'd like to go back and get uh, all of your background, we've got it on there for <laughs> sure. Uh, today, though, we're going to talk a little bit about how you two work together. Uh, and uh, Roger, you were here uh, earlier, and I got to sit down and, and just talk with you a little bit about um, your, your background and, and what it is that uh, a clinical researcher does. Because, again, that's um, that's a title I think a lot of us see in articles when we're talking or reading about medicine. But I don't know if we really know exactly what it means. So can you just kind of give me uh, a little bit of your background and how you uh, kind of became a clinical researcher? Yes. Um, I think most people that end up working in clinical research don't start out with the intent of working in clinical research. Sure. None of my staff, myself included, and probably none of our investigators who now work with us at Monument Health really thought they would be clinical investigators once sure. they got here. So um, my ba- I'm a nurse. Um, I went to graduate school at the University of Washington in Seattle. And there they have a strong research background. So we all had to do a thesis. I worked with many people in the intensive care unit there that were also in graduate school working on their own theses. So we're steeped in research. And it's interesting, of course. All right. research questions are interesting. And um, so when I came back here and began working with the heart doctors back in 1994, one of the physicians here at that time had started a couple clinical research studies and asked for my help. And then we picked up another study and then another one. And finally, we had to sit down and decide, okay, are we going to do clinical research here or not? And we decided to do that. And we've taken and grown the program over the last 25 years. There's probably, there's 19 of us now doing clinical research. Um, So we've slowly grown the program. And our role is to provide an infrastructure so that any physicians working at Monument Health that are interested in participating in clinical research studies that are going on, we provide the infrastructure so that they can do that. So then how does how does cardiology fit into all of this, doctor, for you? How do, how do, how do you get tied into this clinical research? You know, so, but before I answer the question, I, I really want to commend Roger and his team, you know, for building this phenomenal research division. I, I you know, Having trained in big academic institutions like Mount Sinai, New York, and William Baumann, I think with the limited resources Roger has 
had and achieved is it's just incredible. So I had to start off with that. <laughs> oh, great. Once I got oh, that on the chest, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. You know, and I, I did six months of research in, in, in William Beaumont, so I, I had a flavor for it. And, and throughout my residency fellowship, I've been publishing. And after I came here, I was really impressed with what Roger had set up. And, and knowing that in the field of medicine, if you open up any of the major journals, you know, most of the research um, funding and, and, and innovations you see a lot in cardiovascular oncology and, and a few other departments. And, and I realized that uh, with the challenging patients we've had in cardiology, I think it was absolutely you know, important to have some of the cutting edge technologies to involve our patients in this because this way, once the physicians are involved, you kind of get obligated to get yourself updated. Mm -hmm. You gotta know about the disease as well as the treatments. So in turn, this actually helps the patients. And, and that's how with different diseases, uh, you know, Roger comes up with us and says, hey, these are the trials involved. Let us know if any of your patients enroll. And I'm like, oh yeah, this patient will truly benefit from this. So we really work hand in hand. Pretty much every other day, you know, we have a, a sign out or a handoff saying, hey, these are the patients admitted. These are the patients we are seeing in the clinic. And, and they give us an update uh, every month. And also now they have an app which shows all the oh, list really? of trials. So we really, really coordinate and work excellently. So are you, are, are you I guess I kind of was uh, talking to Roger a little bit earlier, you know, in a, in a, in a market like this, um, size-wise, really, I was really surprised at the number of clinical trials that happen here. Oh, Is yeah. that surprising to you, doctor? I mean, are you surprised for an area of this oh, size? Yeah. I, when I came here, I was really surprised. Really? But when I, now, now that I'm eight years here in practice, I, I clearly see that we can build a way bigger department. And we can also uh, try and put some more weight to get more funding to initiate mm -hmm. studies which originate from Rapid City. Right. I think we have the potential for that. You know, we, we definitely need a little more manpower. Sure. And we don't want Roger to retire. You know, that's, that's, that's the key thing. Well, I just want to let you know the little secret, doctor. Um, I know. We had a conversation. Uh, uh, so do you, uh, do you guys, when you're, when you're working together, uh, do you guys, there obviously must be things that you, get, you guys get excited about and promising develops, developments and, and breakthroughs and such. And again, I, I was surprised to, to, to kind of get some background on all of this, uh, the clinical research Studies. Is there some that are, 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 have caught your attention recently, some breakthroughs uh, and some stuff that's being done right here in Rapid City that you specifically, doctor, are, are excited about when it comes to our hearts? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the biggest thing, uh, especially, is being an anticoagulant, antiplatelet therapy, which is often used in coronary artery disease, you know, whether you receive a stent, you don't receive a stent, or you undergo a bypass. It is well defined that these drugs really alter the person's survival. And, and we always had challenges with some of the older, you know, the antiplatelets of the blood thinners with bleeding and other complications and, and not able to achieve that kind of mortality. And, and, you know, Roger and his team have come up with multiple new strategies to treat them. And, and that's something which is very exciting to me. I think, you know, as we talked in the last podcast, you know, interventions are great. I enjoy doing them. I help the patients. But, but truly what changes the patient's survival, long-term outcome, and can be 
implemented in a mass is is truly medications and lifestyle. Would you say that that those anticoagulants? Because Roger, we had, we had also talked a little bit about this and some of the, the the new exciting studies that are coming out. Is that is that quite possibly one of the most important things when it comes to your heart and the surgeries? Oh, yes. and, the, and the really yeah, why think, why is that? I think that forms the basis whether you receive a stent or you don't receive a stent. Oh. I think having good medical therapy forms the base. Period. I mean, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is only when they fail medical therapy we start to implement uh, interventions. But again, you know, it, it varies patient to patient. So right. I think having critical uh, medicines, uh, you know, guideline-directed therapy, as well as certain options, because not every patient fits into a trial. Right. You know, a lot of patients who don't fit in the trial. So that's where it's important to have some of these novel drugs which we can use on these patients. Now, is it specifically, a lot of the trials, um, Roger, that you do, are they specifically drug-related? Is that, a, is, that, is that all that that is? Does that question make sense? Yeah, In no, my brain no. it does, but... <laughs> um, probably at least two-thirds of our trials okay. have, are drug-related. Right. The intervention is a drug. But um, Dr. Purushatam and Dr. Tuma and some of the other doctors have worked with devices also. Okay. Like stents. Yes. Um, valves, things that are... Do- do those do those change drastically? I mean, it seems like a stent is 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 pretty much a, you know, it, it works, right? Yeah, yeah, are, are there are there absolutely. are there lots of are there lots of changes that can happen to that where cl- uh, clinical trials would be needed? Yeah, you know, they, they're trying to come up with newer kinds of stents. Uh, for example, once you get a stent, you got to be on the blood thinners for at least six months, twelve months. Now they're coming out with newer stents where you can just get away with one month of blood thinner. So you can get your stent and you get your surgery. So the much faster month, than much it's faster. okay. And, and, and things which will stay open for longer so they don't close down quickly. Uh, and also trying to see if they can modify the disease where the patient can live longer you know, by reducing the number of reinterventions. So they do make an impact. Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, obviously, and I, and I still think that's the case, that um, cardiovascular disease is, is the leading cause of, of mortality worldwide, right? Um, there obviously has to be a lot of challenges that researchers like you, Roger, face. Um, are, are you guys, is it, how do you mainly address these challenges that you, that, that, that you face? Is it just finding the right people, finding the medication, going to these, these, uh, these conventions and stuff that you talked a little bit? Is that, is that kind of your first line of defense in this? Um, Challenge-wise, I think... All of us are busy. Okay, well, sure. <laughs> our physicians, uh, and we are. So our, there are more there are more trials we'd like to do than mm-hmm. we can than we can possibly do. Um, so we really need to build the right size team, and then take on as much work as we can, and pick the trials that have the biggest impact on our community and the ones that are. Physicians are excited to be working. Well, I, with. I suppose you have to do kind of focus community wide. You really oh, have absolutely. to know the people oh, yeah. that you work with. These aren't trials, not not just to use the term generic. They're not just generic trials. You, they're, they're they're pretty specific in sure. in most instances of people that are here, right? <clears throat> yes, we, the population we live with yes, around here for sure. The trials we're interested mm-hmm. in doing are the ones that affect the people we work with. Every right. Day. Okay. Um, well, there's uh, you, you talked, I think, a little, uh, doctor, you mentioned that kind of that patient-centric approach, too. Um, so how, how are a lot of these kind of be, being applied to cardiology uh, and that impact that they have? How, how does that? 
I think we can see that in the last uh, you know decade or so that the focus has not been on a test result. Uh, the focus should be on a patient-centric result. Like, has this improved the patient's survival? Has yeah. this improved the patient's quality of life? As opposed to saying, hey, has the stent just stayed open? You know, it's great right. if it's open, but it's even more greater if the patient's symptoms are improved. And and actually, you can see a lot of uh, uh, large-scale research studies are starting to focus on that. I mean, a good example is uh, the Google's uh, breakaway decision, the Verily uh, Verily Sciences, and and. They're trying to build a database where you can go ask a patient-centric question and you can collect all the data on a very, very large scale. Well, so, explain really quick, explain kind of what patient-centric means. Okay. So, for example, uh, if, if I have a patient uh, who comes and sees me for chest pain mm -hmm. and we've tried medical therapy, so we go ahead and we find a blockage, we put a stent in, okay, and then we follow him after two months and we see that his, uh, you know, his stent is open. So that is a test result we're looking at. But if he comes and tells me, doctor, I feel better, I can now walk four miles, and my quality of life is improved. And so that is a patient-centric, as opposed to just saying, you know, oh, is see. the stent open mm -hmm. or not? So the idea is to see, is it helping the patient clinically, which is the most important thing. So that really is where we're headed, isn't it, in your guys' field, is that patient-centric uh, more so than just you took the drug, did it work, yep. fine, right? Does that change things up for clinical trials too, that patient-centric approach a little bit? Or are, do you guys, are you simply working and looking for the, that end result? In clinical trials, I would have to say that more. Sure. Because people, to be in a trial, you have to fit the inclusion criteria and the exclusion criteria. Of course, along the way, we're looking for patients who are compliant, who are getting the best standard of care because we're trying to add therapy above the standard of care. So we kind of have to pick the patient with all those variables playing in. Sure. But research is volunteers. Everyone in research is a volunteer. So it's patient-centric, and those people are deciding that that's what they want to do. Do you do you find that it's easy to get volunteers, doctor, when you when you feel like you have somebody that you know is just right for the clinical trial? Yeah, uh, it, how hard is it to convince them to do it? It is tricky, you know. It, really, it, it, it depends on uh, you know the, the patient's uh, relationship with the healthcare system, mm -hmm. with the physician, uh, what they've gone through, and 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 uh, uh, what level of disease they have, and into being absolutely truthful, hey, this is what we are dealing with. And uh, uh, But most patients, I think, understand. Yeah. And I've seen uh, when explained well and, you know, when given the appropriate circumstances, I think they seem to, uh, you know, agree to it and willing to cooperate. Do, have you ever come across a patient that you knew was just perfect and you wanted them in that trial and they just didn't want to do it? Oh, they absolutely. To, have nothing absolutely. to do with it? Yeah, there's, there's always that. You know, and, and, and I understand that, you know. Because, well, sure. Yeah, because each one has their own right to make a decision. Right. And, and I completely respect that, yeah. But I guess if, you know, if <laughs> for me personally, if something was wrong with my heart and I needed to get it fixed, and you said, look, <laughs> you've got a clinical trial, we might, I, I don't know how I could say no to that, right? <laughs> uh, but I suppose, like you said, everybody's an individual yeah, and yeah. everybody has yep. their... Um, well, kind of moving into, uh, like, the technological integrations, too, that uh, we, we were talking about just how 
and, and I think you and I talked about it too, Doctor, on the last podcast, of how quickly these technologies change. Um, you guys, uh, it seems like you can barely catch a breath before something comes along that, that you're interested in and you're like, wow, here we go. This is what I've been hoping for, right? Um, are there any like specific tools or, 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 or platforms that both of you find super promising that's coming up that you're really excited about? I mean, you can, can see it, but you got to test it first, right? You get to be on the outset to be like, hurry up and test it because yeah. this looks cool <laughs> and this is what I want. Do you guys have things like that that you're excited about? Good. But, oh, <laughs> always, always. Yeah. One of the things technologically, um, we already mentioned Verily, which is part of Google. And but can you explain that really quick, what that is? Uh, yeah, Google has a lot of different areas they have focus on and health is one of sure them. okay Barrel sure. Is, oh got is it all right perfect mm-hmm. part of the company focused on that so we worked with them a little bit talking about doing decentralized research which means places like us which are rare yet if you want to be in a research study you need to be here right or omaha or mayo it's not available to everyone so decentralized is trials that are run and maybe advertise isn't the right word, mm-hmm. but the knowledge of the trials is spread maybe through Google, sure. who also has knowledge of what that population in areas looks <coughs> like. So you can, when you open up a new trial, you can be a part of that no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't work for all clinical questions, but some clinical research you could do in a decentralized manner like that. Right. It'd be available to many more people. And they've done a lot of work and people are interested in doing that. So that's one way, because we gotta get the price down. It's just too expensive yeah. and too localized. Because we want it to be generalizable to the whole country, so we want Everyone from all over the country participating, right. ideally. Is that kind of how you feel about it too, Dr. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, uh, it's great to do some real advanced research, but research costs a lot of money, and, yeah. and the expenses just going up. And, and number two is not every institution is willing to invest that kind of time and money. You know, uh, I have to try and take care of my clinical duties, number one, and then find my spare time, you know, sometime after hours or, or weekends to do this research. So obviously you, you have to find a way where it's economical and time efficient, and that's where technology comes in. So I think what Roger says, uh, decentralized, it's so critical, you know. The, the new you know, phrase in medicine is data is gold. I, I'm sure it probably applies to everyone. It, it does, Media, yeah. yeah, to us as you well, know, same thing, sure. And, and if you think of it, if, if we have accumulated <laughs> A data of say the last 10 years of our Native Americans with mm-hmm. cardiovascular disease, I mean, we can learn a lot from it. And so if you can pull this data on a large scale throughout the country, I think it's going to benefit every single one of them. So does AI technology play a little bit into this too? Do you guys find this at all for clinical trials? Is it helping? We've done trials utilizing AI, mm-hmm. um, a couple of them with Mayo, where they were looking at EKGs and can we look at EKGs and make a assumption about the left ventricular function. Um, So that's when we recently helped them compile data to build an AI model to look at that. 
All right. Well, let's talk um, uh, a little bit about uh, the collaboration that you guys do, and I'll let you compliment each other profusely here a little bit if you'd like to. <laughs> um, I mean, you guys, it's I, I before I started this podcast and, and looking into it today as I was getting ready for it, um, I, I didn't know how clinical research worked. I didn't know how closely you work with the doctors and vice versa. You know, I thought a, a clinical trial was uh, the, the pharmaceuticals have created the product and they go to the clinical trials to test on patients. I mean, doctors obviously would kind of be involved a little bit. But you explained it to me that you you really do work closely with the doctors when it comes to the trials beginning and ending and, and, and the results, right? Oh, you bet. Um, we meet monthly with what we call the principal investigators, mm -hmm. our local physician that's running the trial. So we meet monthly, talk about who's enrolled in the trial, go over the lab work that's been done, look at the EKGs, whatever's pertinent to that particular trial. So yeah, these what the patients really enjoy participating in trial is good follow-up. Yeah. They see a health professional pretty frequently. If they're having problems, we interface with either their physician taking care of them or the principal investigator of the trial because we need to ensure that our patients in trial are getting the best possible standard mm -hmm. of care before we can say that the intervention we're doing adds to that. Right. So if their blood pressure is uncontrolled or if they have congestive heart failure that's suboptimally controlled, we work with everyone else taking care of that patient. Okay. So doctor, then how, uh, how, how does it start for you? Uh, how, do, how do you work with Roger? Now the way it works is, you know, we kind of are at the front line and we see what are some of the burning questions, you know, some unanswered questions, and what is relevant to this community, you know? And, and, and we try to bring up those questions with Roger, or Roger brings up a trial, and he asks, hey, do you think it's feasible, is it? And then we say, oh, this is a great trial, it fits the needs for our community, or this does not. Or if I bring up a question and, and then Roger says, hey, it's just logistically not feasible, you know, we might mm -hmm. just invest a lot of time and we won't get the best of the best results. And, and so you really have to pick and choose, not really mm -hmm. cherry pick, but see what suits the community. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, picking, that's the most important thing to doing a successful trial is picking the right trial. Absolutely. <laughs> and at the very end, it's picking the right patients. Yeah. Um, so do you have, do you have patients that, that maybe doctor approach you and say, I want to be part of a trial? Is there anything that you can do? Or, you know, because maybe they have a, a condition that, that is, is not promising, right? Uh, and they come to you and say, what can be done? Uh, is that something then, then, you, then you can help? I mean, what are your options in that situation? I mean, yeah, we do have patients who come and ask us, like, you know, do you guys have any trials for mm -hmm. this, this condition? Mm -hmm. Because and we, we look around, we investigate, we ask, and if not available here, we do guide them, you know, across the country. Yeah. Oh, that's very helpful. Oh, it sure. is. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we no, mentioned we mentioned an app, and yes, I'll I was just I just to wanted to talk about that. that. We can get that out. Yeah, and that's an app that anyone can access free of charge, and on that we list all the trials that we're doing. It's okay. It's, it's difficult to communicate because we start up to fifteen trials a year, and about the same amount are ending. So it's very difficult to communicate right. with everyone yeah, what's going on. I can barely keep track. <laughs> and so we just started using this app 
so our practitioners can look at what trials are going on, what's the inclusion exclusion criteria, and people in our community, I believe, can access it also. Oh, that would be super helpful. So, yeah. So yes. we'll make sure we get the word out Down for that. Yeah, yeah, and throw that in uh, on on the podcast also, too. And Dr. Purushottam is our medical advisor. So when we get new trials, he's one of the first people we bring them to to go, all right, will this work with our practice and will this work with our community? Well, it's so, it is, and, and, and I've said this a couple of times on the podcast, it's such, I'm so relieved talking to the doctors I've talked to with Monument that this stuff exists here in Rapid City because oh, yeah. so many times we think we've got to go to Denver, we've got to go to Minneapolis. We have to leave the area. And as a patient, that's one thing you never want to have to do. And as a doctor, you want to keep them here, too. It just seems like the rates of recovery improve drastically when you could sleep in your own bed at night <laughs> in a lot of instances, right? Uh, so, uh, well, I want to thank both you guys for coming in and talking about this. Um, it's uh, it's uh, Roger uh, Derod, who is the Director of Research for Monument Health. Uh, and, of course, uh, Dr. Purushottam as well. Thank you, cardiovascular uh, cardiologist with the Monument um, uh, Heart and Vascular Institute. Jeepers creepers. Just practicing that all day again. I don't know why. I've said it so many times. Anyway, thank you both for coming in and talking You're with me. Welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting thank you. us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Haddon, engineered by Chris Jaquist, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.